1: Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7. It's Friday. Georgia is set to play Missouri here in a little over 24 hours. Uh, big game for the Bulldogs. One of four left on the season. One of three SEC games left. Georgia wins two of them. It clinches its spot in Atlanta. If it wins all of them, it is firmly in the college football playoff discussion and has a chance to basically play in Play itself into the college football playoff uh, with a win over uh, with, with win in the SEC championship game, and again, that's provided they went out in the regular season. Uh, a lot has happened since the last time we, we we came to you guys. Georgia's ranked number six in the initial college football playoff uh, rankings, which is huge. Uh, you know, and and you can kind of debate on whether they deserve to be there or not. Listen, doesn't matter if Georgia's seven. Doesn't matter if they're six, four. You know, 12, they're going to be in if they win five in a row. And, and that's that's just all there is to it. We're going to touch on that a little bit. Obviously, we're going to talk about Missouri and the keys to that game. are going to talk about Chase Young's suspension briefly and, and, you know, our own unique uh, dealing with that type of situation. Uh, and we're going to make our picks, we we got a lot to get to. We've got a lot. But let's start off, and, and yeah, I'm not sure if the guys are, are completely expecting this, but let's start off with the Chase Young thing since it just broke before we started uh, recording, and I know we're dating ourselves with that. But, but Rusty, don't necessarily want to talk about the ins and outs of it because we don't know the ins and outs of it. How hard is it, man, When when something like this happens from our standpoint – uh, to let people behind the ropes a little bit um, how hard is it to to deal with this because you and I and and Kip and uh, you know, I mean a lot of people out there have experience with something in this in this same vein
2: I'll tell you how tough it was to cover Todd Gurley and and that's the only experience I have with anything like this I'm not saying I don't know the, I don't know the specifics I know that he is indefinitely suspended and everybody is asking why what kind of time frame it was very, very difficult to cover Todd Gurley because of the fact of – I'll be honest with you, I felt like we had tremendous sources around this and they had no answers. They had no answers. The NCAA works on their timetable. Um, you know, obviously this is something that Ohio State uh, feels like needs to be taken seriously because the young man's not playing this weekend so far. It's just tough, man, because you have to have answers for people. This is what we do. Uh, The Todd Gurley situation is the only way I know how to compare this early on because of the buzz of a really, really good player on a potential NCAA violation. That's all we know. It's just tough to cover, man, because the NCAA doesn't give any answers. And when nobody has answers, we don't have answers. And it gets very, very frustrating. I know you guys were both involved with that and and covering that side of it. It's just a – Hard, hard situation because the NCA works on their timetable with something like this. It's not like they're going to say, hey, we're going to have an answer next Thursday and we'll determine the rest of the year. We might be sitting here next Friday again talking about he's suspended this week. We don't know much further. It's just a tough, hard situation, man, and it's 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 unfortunate on every angle.
1: You know, I, I was really glad when that Todd Gurley thing happened because I had just joined – Ah, uh, you and Gentry over here at uh, 24/7 Sports, and and that was my first season. You know, w- with you guys, I'd probably been here like five, six months, and I was really glad that I didn't have two extra kids. I just had the one because I was at I was an absentee dad. It was it was around the clock. It, I mean, 20 hours a day at the very least. Like I, I you were. I was staying up late waiting to hear back from people, waiting to get a text back, waiting to get the latest update because it's, it's that important to people. And like you said, the hardest part about it is you can you can talk to in the Todd Gurley situation, you could talk to Todd himself. You could talk to you could talk to, you know, Mark Richter himself at the time. You could talk to any of those people and they had no idea. They just—they didn't know what what was going to happen. I mean, they had some details as to as far as what happened, and things like that. But they didn't know what the NCA was going to decide, and that's all people care about. Because at the end of the day, uh, you know how it's going to impact your football team is what you're most interested in. And I'm sure there's some juicy details that that would that would pique some interest but at the end it's just it's difficult man it's it's one of the most difficult things that you can have to deal with and i listen my heart goes out to everybody covering ohio state football whether you work at the columbus dispatch or or our our awesome ohio state site Bucknuts, uh you know whatever it's hard
2: it's a bad it's a hard deal man and i know right now those guys are scrambling they're very connected as well up there but listen there's no answers and And, and again, the hardest thing is the NCAA works on their timetable.
1: It
3: does. It does for sure. Keep you got anything anything to throw in there? I'm just remembering back to that uh, 2014 season and and when it happened to Todd Gurley. And you remember he he sat out those first two games against, I believe, Missouri and Arkansas. You know, we were waiting to hear if it would be upheld. And, you know, you get the news – the week of the florida game that it was going to be upheld and he and he was going to have to sit out the two you know two more games and and just think think about that florida game you know the difference he could have made in that game And, and then coming back you know coming back against auburn and then getting injured just the the impact that it had you know on georgia's season the expectations they had and and I remember that, you know, they fell to uh, Georgia Tech at the end of the season as well. But just you y- you look at that and then you compare it to just what Ohio State's trying to do this season, what they have still on the slate. those you know, those upcoming games against Penn State and, and, and Michigan. And for for Chase, I mean, regardless, you know, you can compare this to, uh, you know, the Bo- Bosa situation last year. I mean, when he got hurt, there was you know, there was really nothing else he needed to do, and and he went on to become a high draft pick. Well, I mean, that is the situation that Chase Young specifically is in right now, that regardless of what happens here, you know, he is set up for the next level. That is the next step in his journey. But obviously for Ohio State, I mean, they're going to be on pins and needles, just like Georgia fans were, that you know, in that 2014 season. I mean, until they find out what exactly is going to happen – That's just the way it's going to be. And it's a very difficult situation. And it definitely played a big impact on Georgia's season. And I mean, we're all watching. I think, you know, a guy that when you have a defensive player that's being mentioned in the Heisman discussion, I mean, that tells you, I mean, he's been the most impactful player, arguably, on the football field this season. So this, I mean, this becomes kind of the biggest storyline in college football right now, even as we go into a huge sec matchup this weekend
1: absolutely and we're gonna we're gonna jump right into georgia here because that's why folks listen to us and and we're gonna talk about this uh, missouri game a little bit we're gonna do what we do every friday talk about the game talk about the keys all of that stuff and then at the end of the show we're gonna give predictions we're gonna throw alabama and lsu in there as well uh guys when you look at this game for Georgia and and I wrote my keys uh, key matchups for this game. It's not necessarily what we're going to go you know discuss here, but when you when you're talking about Georgia Missouri, you you're talking about two teams that much like last week. When Georgia played Florida, the two teams seemed to be, if you were you know, talking about national perception trending in different directions, Georgia and Missouri, they're also dealing with that. Yeah, Missouri, after losing to Vandy in Kentucky, 0-3 on the road, 5-0 at home this year. They got Georgia in Athens, so that's, that's going to be a little bit of a challenge for them. But keys to victory, all right? And Kip, I'm going to start with you. What's your number one key to victory in this game for Georgia?
3: I look at this game, and I think it kind of reminds me of the game Georgia played against Mississippi State a couple years ago, where I think really what Georgia needs to do to set the tone for this game is to come out and and be aggressive offensively. I mean, I remember that game. It was like 10 seconds into the game, and Georgia's first offensive possession, you know, they they hit the flea flicker. I mean, Chubb tossed the ball back to Fromm, and, and he found Terry Goblin open down the middle 59 yard score. I think that's the kind of tone Georgia needs to set in this game and establish that, you know, they're not going to it, this isn't a game where, you know, they get set back offensively. They're going to go ahead and establish we're the better team. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. We're not thinking about that game against Florida anymore. We're focused on the here and now. And I think that's really, you know, if Georgia does that, they should be fine, but you know, if I'm looking at like a key Matchup, I'm looking right back at Trey Hill again. I talked about him last week. I wanted to see what he could do against Florida's interior defensive line. I thought there was a chance for him to kind of bounce back and gain some confidence. I thought he had his best game of the season against Florida. He went out there and and played outstanding football. and The timing really couldn't be better for that because I think he's going to face against Missouri probably – Thir- arguably the third best defensive uh, tackle that, that Georgia is going to go up against this year in Jordan Elliott, a guy that's 6'4", 315 pounds. Now, obviously, Derrick Brown's going to be at the top of that list. But we discussed Javon Kinlaw earlier this year, and he gave Georgia issues in that loss to South Carolina. I think Elliott is that type of player for the Tigers. He's had seven tackles for loss this year had eight tackles for loss last year after transferring from Texas and sitting out. I want to see if if Trey Hill can string together back-to-back impressive performances and do it this week against a guy who, who could be drafted down the road. I think him playing a good game really sets Georgia well up offensively this game and really puts him in a position to kind of put this thing away potentially earlier in the game.
1: I like that one. I like that one a lot. Mine's going to kind of be somewhere close to that. And uh, just going to go ahead and say it, Uh, Georgia's got to clean it up. And listen, I know the offensive line, you know, whether you listen, whether you watch, you know, pay attention to Cole Kubelik or, or, you know, you look at pro football focus, everybody is talking real highly of Georgia's offensive line. And listen, they pass protected out of this world against a talented Florida pass rush. They've got to clean things up in the run game. Because I look back at that game, and and, and most of it was early. There were some times late. There were a few instances later on. But most of it was early where it wasn't the extra guy that was getting free and and wrecking Georgia's run game. It was the guy at the point of attack. And it was – it was a guard and a tackle, or, or not really a tackle. The tackles played really well. I know Isaiah, McKin- uh, Isaiah Wilson blew one on the on the opening drive there. Georgia's first run play of the game, or second run play of the game, but it was it's, it's a guard and a center, or or somebody not holding a combo block long enough before they move up to the next level. It was putting a guy in a in an impossible situation. I think Florida's bare front did some stuff to kind of confuse Georgia there but they've got to clean up those mistakes because if you get the play started, if you do that at a high level, which is something I feel like this offensive line did extremely well in 2017 and 2018, DeAndre Swift is going to break some big runs. And that's what they've got to do. They've got to get it cleaned up up front. And and it's not an ability issue. It's not getting whipped up front issue. It's a Get your timing around your combo blocks. And, and I wrote this today uh, in, in our MB in the notebook feature that we do every Friday where we basically take everything we saw and everything we heard over the course of the week and we put it all in one big notebook and we say here, you know, here's a catch-all. Here, here's everything from the week. But when, when you when you look at the 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 fact that Georgia's offense line had one game together, and that was the, the opening game of the season at Vanderbilt, and then it was – it was to, basically until Florida before everybody was healthy and there was no more musical chairs with Kay Mays moving around and playing a bunch of different spots. Now Georgia's kind of settled back into the way they practiced in preseason. This is game two of that, and I think you can expect some improvement. Georgia's offensive line in terms of continuity is in September when it's November. And so the, these next few games, starting with Missouri, I expect to see some of those issues getting cleaned up where, where they are a little bit more efficient with their combo blocks and they are working up to the second level and getting the linebackers blocked because this whole idea that, that teams are putting a bunch of people in the box is nothing new. They've seen that for, for two straight years. They saw that for 29 games prior to this year, and they're going to continue to see it, and they need to handle it like they have in the past as opposed to how they've handled it through the middle of the season because this rushing attack is what's going to set everything up for Georgia, and I really think that the continuity on the offensive line can help, and, and it starts with Missouri. Russie, uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that?
2: I, you know, I went back and watched the Missouri game from last year, and really, truthfully, just because I wanted to see both teams for 3-0, and and I think things changed for Georgia – Defensively, and you've seen Kirby Smart and what they're doing as far as challenging the guys about the amount of run yards, uh, rushing yards that Missouri had on Georgia last year. And I went back and watched that game, and the one key thing I picked up is you know who didn't play it was number 99. And after Georgia inserted Jordan Davis into their lineup last year, we all know things kind of changed. For them, this was early in the year last year. This was the fourth game last year they played at Missouri. And Missouri had a turnover. Uh, Tyson Campbell with a a fumble recovery. They had a block kick for a touchdown. That game wasn't kind of a blowout as it it Wind up being score-wise. But they did kind of gash Georgia a little bit, um, you know, inside. So – I'm interested with Jordan Davis as far as the matchup inside now and what Georgia's defense has done, um, you know, as far as offensively kept touched on that. I think Georgia just needs to carry, carry the momentum. Uh, we all said the same thing for two weeks. You're going to find out what Georgia is about and what offensive game plan they have and any new wrinkles they have against Florida because the season was on the line. The exact same thing is happening right now you're going to find out if this team has turned the corner and they're starting to make that run to, yes, we are an elite team. If they go out and handle business this weekend and show us offensively, uh, they still are rolling defensively, they're still shutting down people, you will know this team is who we think it is, and I always say who they can be. Uh, But I think one of the things I'm looking at is can Georgia's interior handle Missouri a little bit better because I know – uh, Barry Odom and, and those guys, Derek Dooley, will try to continue to run the ball at Georgia a little different than most teams have because they had a little bit of success last year. Again, it was Julian Rochester and Michael Barnett. This time, there's a grown man in the middle uh, who causes issues for teams, so we'll see how they attack, and I'm interested in that matchup.
1: You know, and, and it's not just Jordan Davis who who is great. Don't get me wrong. He's phenomenal. But the other guys on that defensive line have elevated their play from last year, too, and I think Davis has had something to do with that. Tyler Clark Devonte Devontae Wyatt are playing better football. Malik Herring is at a different spot than he was this time last year. Justin Young is also playing better. Even Michael Barnett, who I think having Jordan Davis there to push him has, has made him a better player because Jordan Davis wasn't what he is now, at that point. That's why he wasn't playing. He was, I mean, shoot, I, I still expect him redshirt. I don't even know if he – I'm 99% positive he didn't make that trip to Missouri. He didn't even travel. So I mean you start to look at how this you know team has changed since then. And and I do think that Georgia has what it takes. The inside linebacker play is better. The 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 tackling from the safety position, you're more dynamic at the star position when it's, when you start talking about them coming down and playing uh, the run is box players. Mark Webb is is just a different physical presence than Tyreek McGee was last year. So I definitely think Georgia has what it takes. And and one thing I found interesting this week is is Malik Herring told us that the coaches have been running around all week with a sign with the number of yards that Missouri ran on ran for against Georgia last year. And listen, Missouri also had four rushing touchdowns, and that's. This team now it has a streak of eight games without giving up a rushing touchdown. I think that's the first time in like 20 years that's happened. So Georgia's got all that going on, and, and that's, that's definitely one to keep an eye on because if Georgia can dominate defensively against the run like it has this season – Uh, you really like Georgia's chances of winning what's basically a trap game because it's between two big-time rivals, two highly ranked rivals, number 10 and number 11 now after Georgia beat Florida last week and bumped them down to 10. Auburn comes in at 11 in the college football playoff rankings, and, and they're going to stay there because they don't play this week. It's another team coming off a of bye, so it's a big game, and uh, and it starts for Georgia defensively with stopping the run without question because Missouri is just not what, the, what it has been in terms of a passing attack. We're going to jump into a break here real quick, but before we do, we don't do this enough, but thank you everybody out there who listens to us. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate you giving the podcast a try. If you check us out, on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe, rate, review. Let us know what you think. We read through those. We like them. Uh, you know, I, I love listening to podcasts, and 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 one of the things that that you know they always say is unsubscribe and subscribe again. Do that too, if that helps us out. I don't know how it does, but apparently it does. But we really appreciate it, and, and definitely give us your take on what you think about the about the junkyard dog cast and, and it will it's advice that will be heated. We're going to jump into a break here real quick we'll come out on the other side and talk about who we think is going to click in this game against Missouri.
4: Selling a little or a lot. up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
1: all right guys we do it every week one vet one old timer one new timer uh, who do you, uh, Rusty, who do you have playing well against Missouri? Who do you have uh, kind of going off having a big game?
2: What Do we have limits? Can I, can I pick same players sometimes? <laughs>
1: <laughs> do what you need to do, man. Can I just take Andrew Thomas
2: just from me? Because, I mean, I can't watch this guy enough. I went back and watched the Florida game. He got beat on an inside move uh, by Jonathan Grenard in the third quarter, I believe, on a sack of pressure. Not a sack, but a pressure. I mean, it's the SEC. You're going to get got sometimes. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you something, man. What he does, to to I don't I don't think people, Georgia fans, I mean, just take it for granted. I mean, this dude is a freakazoid. I don't know what else to just watch him and what he does to a defensive end. Uh, he run blocks. He pass blocks. I just can't pick against Andrew Thomas because he doesn't. There's not front page headlines. But, man, I mean, what he did last week, I'm telling you right now, if you go back and watch that game, Florida quit on their stunts. When they did their end twist and the guys that come off the edge, by the fourth quarter, they were just standing there trying to jump up and bat balls. You weren't coming around, Andrew Thomas. I've never seen that. Uh, so you, you look at what he does. He, he's almost like DeAndre Baker. DeAndre Baker owned the side of his field for Georgia. He just took away a third every game. Andrew Thomas takes away that entire blind side for Jake Fromm. It's it's insane. Um, I think looking at that, I still – you know, I'm going to go back with another pick because I know Lawrence Cager had a great game and and, and obviously deserves everything. I still think it's going to be a lot of attention focused toward him. So I'm wondering if George Pickens on the other side this week will get some touches. Uh, we'll get some single coverage. Will Jake Fromm come back to him a little bit? Um, I'm gonna roll Andrew Thomas, and I'm gonna come back with George Pickens on the on the thought that Lawrence Cater is gonna get extra attention. So when you do that, that means somebody else gets a few more one on ones, and maybe maybe Jake four freshmen on the other side.
1: Rusty, that uh, that George Pickens uh, selection is theft by taking because I was actually going to pick that one myself for that for that exact reason too. I went first. I went first, man. I went. First. If you put yourself in a defensive coordinator's shoes, and you look at how George's passing game kind of struggled a little bit and scuffled a little bit with Lawrence Cager not in there. Um, it, it just makes a lot of sense. You know, you, you, not only do you try to make Jake Fromm throw it, but when he does, you take Lawrence Cager away and make him, you know, maybe play a little bit left-handed – and uh and and that just to me spells so much more opportunity because i think the slot guys are going to get it anyway it's tough to double a slot guy it takes a lot of resources you almost have to in order to to kind of shut down a slot guy you kind of have to give three guys on him you have to take away the inside the outside and over the top and that's just too much resource why so many slot receivers are so effective julian edelman uh, you know, uh, there there have been some really good ones. I mean, some guys that some Brandon Stokely's of the world and things like that. The way they were able to dominate from that spot, uh, and even tight ends like Rob Gronkowski. And you know, it seems like we're all going. You know, these uh, these New England guys. But um, Kip, who? What is your what is your look at? or sorry. What is your read on this this
3: game and and who you think can click, old timer and new timer? Well, overall, I think Missouri's plan. To, to have a chance to win this game and they're going to have to play basically boomer bust football. They're going to have to take a lot of chances. They're going to have to go for home runs on offense and they're going to have to try to hit on big losses on defense and, and they might hit a few. Uh, but again, they're going to have some misses there and that's where Georgia is going to be able to take advantage. Uh, so when I look at my veteran to click in this, uh, I got to go with, with J.R. Reed back in the secondary. I think he's going to have an opportunity to get his hands on a lot of balls. And I think that whether it's a fumble recovery or a pick, I think he's going to have a chance for a big return on a, on one or two of those. And I think he's just going to have a chance to make a lot of plays, uh, you know, game-changing plays in this game and, and really put Georgia's offense in a situation where they can get a couple easy scores, or, or maybe, again, he can return one himself and, and get in the end zone. You know, they did it several times against Missouri last year. So I, I like JR Reed to have a big game. I think, you know, it's he's a guy that's kind of, he's been playing pretty solid football for the most part, and this is one of those games where he can kind of jump up and really come off the page as being a, a big game changer for Georgia here in his final season. And flipping it to a, a younger guy, like I said, I think that Missouri is going to be aggressive, and on a couple of those run blitzes, I, I think they're really going to set themselves up if they pick, you know, the wrong gap to to Georgia being able to get that second and potentially behind their defense on on a couple runs. I, I look at what Missouri has done defensively overall; they, they've been pretty solid, but they've been allowing an an average of 220 rushing yards, five yards per carry in their last three games against Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky. So, I mean, that's a recipe for success for Georgia's run game. And Really, I look at last year's game. Elijah Holyfield had a really strong game. He broke a lot of tackles for chunks of yardage. So when I look at Georgia's backs, I look at a guy that hadn't really had a lot of run recently. I look at Samir White. You know, he hasn't had a lot of play as of late, but just, you know, if Georgia's looking at matchups – you know, I could see him playing that Holyfield role and, and and gashing their defense late in the game, help putting this out of reach for Missouri and, and breaking off a couple big plays and, and potentially ended up being that, you know, maybe that leading rusher in, in this game and having kind of a game where, you know, the fans get excited about, you know, they're a young running back. We talked about Zamir and how you can't expect too much of him early in the season coming off of a major injury. This is the part of the season where maybe he starts to pick up a little bit. Maybe he, he, you know, he gets he he gets his strength back, his confidence back, and maybe he can he can have a more significant role for Georgia late in the season and give them another guy that defenses have to prepare for after you know DeAndre Swift and Brian Harrigan. So this is I just think you know you take a chance on an opportunity for a young guy. I think the matchup bodes well for. Zamir White if he's ready for that and, and and if they're ready for him to have that role for him to be very successful against this Missouri defense it's again going to have to be very aggressive and I think that's probably going to be ultimately something that, that that bites them in the end
1: uh, I'm going to go to the defensive side for, for my veteran and it's because of the style of offense Missouri has you know Kelly Bryant supposedly healthy going to play in this game you're going to see some zone read you're going to see some perimeter stuff because of you know Jordan Davis and that defensive line and, and how they spill things to the edge and and when when you have that type of attack, I think Tay Crowder is really at his best. Uh, you know he he's really good at funneling it uh, out to the edge and and you know kind of running plays down and um, you know I think he's a guy that has a chance to get rack up a couple tackles for a loss. He's he's Georgia's leader in that regard from from the line from the inside linebacker position this year and I think he's going to have a pretty big game you know you talk kip you talked about getting some opportunities in the passing game You know, he had a big interception there last year and and i think that that he's a guy that can kind of um get underneath the throw and and maybe pick one off i I do see him having a a pretty big game i thought he played really well against florida despite not racking up a bunch of tackles but he was around the football all game and then ah man this is tough on the on the youngster because I've got a few in mind, and, and I, I'm i with you on Zemir White. I, I wrote that as another thing when I empty the notebook today. I really feel like we're, we're coming into a stretch of the season where he's going to have a big carry, a big play, only 42 touches this season. He's a lot fresher than a lot of the defenses he's going to be going up against. But I'm going to go with Dominic Blaylock. That slot receiver position is tough to cover. He had a big catch last week against Florida, got into the end zone, made a play. You know, I think with with Missouri and some of the stunts they do, and some of the guys they're going to have in the box to kind of shut Georgia's run game down to try and shut Georgia's run game down. I think that that Fromm's going to have some chances just to kind of raise up, throw it out to the edge, and let do- uh, Dominic Blaylock do his thing. I think he's Georgia's best player when it comes to catching the ball out there and breaking a tackle or two and picking up yardage, kind of an extension of the run game. So I like Dominic Blaylock in that role and and I think it's it's been a little bit it's been a little while since he kind of you know flashed in a game probably since Notre Dame to be honest with you so I think that he's a guy that, that can kind of make an impact on this game and and uh, you know three touchdown catches on the year and and you know having a, a really solid freshman season and I think kind of spelling out what, what what most of us see is a pretty bright future at Georgia all right let's let's go to let's go to Alabama LSU first. Discuss that one before we pick Georgia, Missouri to end the show. And folks, this is—I mean, obviously, this is one of the reasons that that folks love SEC football. I know there are probably people outside of the SEC, outside of the Southeast region, who get tired of it. There are some who absolutely love it, uh, even if they root for a Big Ten or Big Twelve or, or Pac-12 or ACC team. They they still enjoy watching SEC football. This is more than likely going to be as uh, uh, CBS's highest. Rated game of the year, uh, I believe Georgia, uh, Alabama. I'm sorry, Georgia, uh, Notre Dame was going into this week. But Rusty, what's your read on this game? It it seems a I, lot like you, know, even I, with it being played in Tuscaloosa. It seems like this this one has the makings of being what it's been built to be uh, in, in past years, when maybe it didn't live up to expectations. Who
2: who have I had not had the you know what to pick? I, I've been on LSU all year. Have I not?
1: You have, even though you even though you were on LSU and didn't put them in your top four or something, top I'll, two or whatever.
2: Why are we bringing up old stuff? I just <laughs> so as we tape this and you and it's going to be talked about. Peter Burns comes out on Friday morning and says he was Alabama's practice yesterday and doesn't think Tua looks natural. Thinks he will play, but he goes, "This is not the same Tua." And boy, you are talking about a curveball to so everything for me. Because all week, I, I and I'm fascinated by this game. I am fascinated by this game because there's so many different angles. But you know, the whole week I'm thinking, man, Alabama is getting to play poor, pitiful me. Alabama don't they don't get to do this? I mean, they're you know people. All the buzz is on LSU. Nick Saban's had two weeks to prepare. The only thing that would keep me from picking Alabama this morning was my concerns with Tua. And then I see this, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure Peter Burns will get back in practice over there or not after that, but um, – He's
1: done, man. He's I'm done just, in Alabama
2: practice. Boy, they're a lot – I mean, I can't even imagine because that, that thing is just taking off everywhere. Um, There's something about this, I think, for, for whatever reason, man, I still – Cannot, and I, I'm, I'm going to kill myself on Monday, but I still think that Alabama being disrespected and Alabama nobody talking about Alabama, their defense is damn good. Their front seven is good. Their defensive backs are good. Their wide receivers are ridiculous. Can a 60 or 70% Tua beat LSU? I don't know, but I'm telling you this. I have confidence in Alabama's defensive backs Against LSU. I have confidence in Nick Saban with a defensive scheme for two weeks against LSU. And I have really thought hard about this game, but that really threw me a curveball. I'm going to stay with my gut this week, and I love LSU. And I'm telling you, man, if LSU wins a close game and Tua is not healthy, all hell is going to break loose in the playoff scenario. We'll talk about that the rest of the year. I'm going to go this morning. And I'm going to stick with my guns, and I'm going to think that Tua has enough to give LSU problems. And I'm going to, and that spread is six and a half right now. It may change based off that type of information, and that is big information because nothing has came up come out of Alabama in two weeks on Tua. I'm still going to say Alabama 27, LSU 20. Spread six and a half right now. I'll say Alabama 27, LSU 20.
1: Kip, what you got?
3: I mean, this, like, like Rusty said, this game is fascinating. I saw the, the uh, tweet that Todd Mache put out on on this game. I think it was yesterday. You know, talk about that 2011 Alabama LSU game, and they had 13 guys picked in the next draft. And, and he's looking at these two rosters and he thinks there's 24 guys who could be taken in the 2020 NFL draft. You know, that's, I can't think of a game this decade that that might have that kind those kind of numbers on the football field at once. So this obviously there are a lot of different facets here. I look at what Joe Burrow's done against I would say some pretty good defenses this year. I mean Auburn's defense, you know, is probably top two, you know, in the conference. And and Joe hit 76% of his throws, threw for 321 yards and a touchdown. We saw Florida's defense. They're pretty solid as well. And he hit 78% for 327 yards and four touchdowns. He's shown he can do it. Alabama's defense, again, we talked about them being young, but they are, you know, they're getting better every week. It really all comes down to is it the driver or is it the car when we talk about Alabama's offense? I mean, uh, we saw Mac Jones look. Pretty good against a uh, Arkansas team that really gives us nothing. I mean, we don't we didn't learn anything from that as far as how important the specific quarterback is and, and how important Tua might be to this offense. So if he comes out there and, and he's healthy enough to to play at a you know a solid level, I like Alabama in this game just because of the weapons he has. I mean, Najee Harris doesn't get enough cred for his ability to catch passes out of the backfield. I mean, he's been outstanding for them this year while still, you know, averaging over five yards to carry as well. But Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, I don't know if we've seen a, a wide receiver core like that before. Uh, I mean, I, I can't recall of seeing one in the SEC. Just the weapons that he's going to have, I think will be the difference in this game. And I'm also, I, I'm still worried. I know he's looked good against some other teams, but can, can Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, can he really run on Alabama? You know, is he even going to get the opportunity? Because I think Alabama's going to have ball control offense. They're going to have long drives down the field. I think they're going to win the time of possession battle pretty handily in this game. I got Alabama winning 30-24. to 24 And, you know, once again, Ed is going to have to go, you know, Back to the whiteboard. This is the, you know, his best opportunity to beat Alabama, and I'm just not sure they're going to be able to get it done against the weapons that Alabama has on offense.
1: Man, I've had a lot of fun watching LSU this year. I really have. I think they do some really cool stuff on the offensive side. They've got some talented defensive backs. Grant Delpit's probably my favorite player in college football to watch. I love good safety play. Um, you know, I definitely think LSU has the horses to slow Alabama's offense down a little bit, especially if two is banged up. But the one thing I look at here is I look back at that uh, that Auburn game last week, and I know Alabama's not as good as Auburn on the interior. They're not going to be able to get pressure with three and four as much as Auburn did. But you know, LSU racked up yards and racked up yards, but they were unable to score. In that game, they were unable to, you know, do do anything really in terms of getting the ball in the end zone. Twenty-three points, and I just think Alabama's defensive backfield is is extremely talented. I mean, you look at the cornerback positions, Diggs and 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 Sertan. You got uh, Xavier McKinney and Jared Maiden at, at the safety positions. You got Shane Carter at the star. You know, Florida's really good at corner, average at safety. Georgia proved that. I think Alabama is the total package in, in the secondary. It's going to be the best secondary Joe Burrow is going to face this year, no matter where LSU goes. I think it's the most complete secondary that that Joe Burrow will face this year. And and I look at this game as home. The only thing that gives me pause on this for Alabama is the kicking game because if it comes down to a close one, Alabama's still struggling in the kicking game. They're still struggling with field goals, and and that's something that gives me pause. But I don't think it gets to that. I really like Alabama at home. I have for a while, and that that's somebody that, listen, I think LSU's one of the top four teams in the country. I think it's going to have an argument no matter what happens. Let's say Alabama wins this game, Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. You wouldn't get a big-time argument out of me if if Georgia, Alabama, and LSU made up two, three of the top four teams. I, it's just – I think, I, love, I think LSU Alabama are that good, and and I think that at that point Georgia would have showed you that they're that good too, but uh, but I like Alabama in this game. I'm I'm going to take the Crimson Tide. Uh, I'm going to take them thirty to seventeen. I I, I think I just think it's going to be a little bit more of a of a uh, they're going to control this game. Uh, you know Nick Saban versus Ed Ogeron. Who listen got a lot of respect for the guy he he's a coach that that kind of learns from some mistakes and has done some good things but I really think that that Alabama's the better football team front to back and I, and I think that kind of shows in a game like this where you've had two weeks to prepare and it's just hard to bet against Alabama so I'm, I'm going to take Alabama 30 to 17. Let's look on to Georgia Missouri and, and Kip starting with you how's it going to go?
3: Well like I said I think that Missouri is going to be aggressive I think it's going to hurt them in this game and I think on the flip side Georgia showed the blueprint for success against Florida I mean they got great line play uh, for the most part on both sides of the ball that defense was rock solid and and Jake Fromm, I mean on third down was incredible and that got them back in the discussion for the college football playoff race, and now they know. I mean, five and oh is all they have to do, and I mean the numbers are going to work themselves out on their end. On the flip side, I mean Missouri seasons—it's it, kind of fizzled out. You know, I think maybe just knowing that they haven't—you know—received any word back on on those bowl sanctions, or just a team that—I mean—they've lost their offensive mojo. But I mean they. They lost to Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and they, they scored 21 points in those two games combined. And and now they have a third road game in a, in a row. They've been Jekyll and Hyde at home and on the road. And, you know, the offense has not been able to get back together. Kelly Bryant, that hamstring, regardless, you know, I think that it's still going to be an issue. The run game stalled for them, and they haven't been able to really capitalize on opportunities they've been given. So... A team that can't get it done in the red zone, Georgia has been, you know, pretty outstanding in the red zone on both sides. I think it it, it really matches up well for Georgia. Uh, I think that they're going to come come in here and, and uh, you know stop Missouri on third downs, get multiple opportunities to have the ball, and, and I don't think Missouri is going to be able to establish a run game early enough to to really make this a football game. I I think that, you know, they might have a big play here and there, and they might, you know, capitalize on a turnover, but I, I think this is, this sets up to be that standard, you know, methodical home win for Georgia. And I got them winning 31 to, to 13.
1: Kip yeah, picking the dogs big. What
2: do you got, Rusty? Um, you know, like I said, watching the game, and I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pat myself on the back. I usually don't do that, but I didn't. I remember a lot of things about the matchup, but I knew Derek Dooley was still there and Barry Odom, and, and and how they would attack Georgia. The one thing that kind of was different, and Jake, you you this is your cup of tea, and you watch things a lot closer than than me and Kip in this area. The matchup I kept seeing last year, and I don't know if they're going to do that this year, but it definitely will be different personnel. They took their tight ends and put them in situations and they were motioning out and causing Georgia a little bit of problem with this where they put Brenton Cox and DeAndre Walker who are both no longer at Georgia in space against their tight ends they were running wheel routes they were making them cover them in the flat those types of things I'm interested to see if Georgia changes some things are they going to have Aziz Ojalary Nolan Smith and Jermaine Johnson trying to cover those guys because these are not plays where they're in the slot. These are plays when they're lined up, tight in, basically in a seven technique, head up on the defensive end, and Georgia was choosing to cover them. That gave Georgia some problems. The pace of Missouri. Missouri is fast-paced. They want to snap, 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 go, 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 go. You know, how would Georgia – it's going to be very cool um, a, a night. So, you know, being you know, being conditioning will do something. The heat elements, that thing's not going to uh, bother Georgia, but – that's kind of the only little concern I saw. And that was something a little bit different where they really put Georgia in situations and, and they had a tight end run. A, they had a receiver run a wrong route on one play that would have been a touchdown last year, wind up being a, uh, uh, a tip ball, but, uh, it gave Georgia some problems against their outside linebackers having to cover. So I'm interested to see if Georgia, maybe a guy like Adam Anderson, if, if they can, he can cover. Cause that's definitely his cup of tea, uh, is playing in space. So, with all that being said, uh, that's my one concern about Georgia, Missouri this week. Uh, with all that being said, uh, you know, I'm with Kip. I just think that you get answers, man. You get answers. Uh, we'll have big answers next week. Georgia on the road at Auburn, big atmosphere. You know, if, is this a focused team or is this a team every week we won't know which one's actually going to show up? I think based off what I see, what I hear, what I know, you're going to see a focused Georgia team this weekend uh i'll go georgia 37 uh missouri 17 uh you know will they give up a rushing touchdown that type of thing uh but we'll see i'll go georgia 37 missouri 17 i think definitely a game for a half for sure and and georgia will start pulling this thing a little bit open as the third quarter uh you know comes around and going in the fourth quarter i think it'll be a very cold uh but a very pleasant light them up uh, as they start the fourth quarter at sanford stadium
1: I've thought about this game a lot of different ways, and the one thing I keep going back to is how poorly Missouri has played on the road this year. I mean, lo- losing at Wyoming, losing it at, uh, at Vanderbilt, losing at Kentucky, those are all big. Those are all big losses, and they're, they're losses to teams that in some ways, like you look at Kentucky, a one-trick pony that just kind of imposed its will, uh, a very, very much scuffling Vanderbilt team. Wyoming, I mean, come on. First of all, how do you schedule a game at Wyoming? I have no idea. I know there was some altitude there, and everybody liked to use that as kind of an excuse while Missouri went 5-0 and in five straight home games. But that's one thing I look at. This one's in Athens at night. Everybody's excited coming off the Florida win. It's been a couple weeks since they've seen a home game. I think Georgia's crowd's going to factor into it. And – I think this is the beginning of of a snowball effect for Georgia, and I'm I'm gonna you know I know this may seem like you well you're you're kind of letting us know how you feel about this team moving forward. We'll see how they look on on Saturday before I start getting into that. But I do think Georgia's getting things rolling. I think the offense got a lot of a lot of. uh of uh, of confidence last week against Florida I, I really liked the the game James Coley called and there was some execution issues on the offensive line and and Jake Fromm missed some throws that kind of kept that from being a little bit more of a blowout Georgia still controlled it throughout but but I think this one is going to be a blowout I think Georgia is going to come out focused I think that South Carolina loss is something that the, the staff has used all week I think that the, the the rushing yards from Missouri is something the staff used all week, and I think the defense plays really, really well in this game against a, against a Missouri team that, listen, uh, they, they're they just not what they've been in the passing game, and that's where Missouri has hurt Georgia in the past. I know they had four rushing touchdowns against Georgia and ran it well, but they also threw it really well, and and I think that, that that, especially the last time they visited Sanford Stadium, threw the ball extremely well, and and I think Georgia does a really good job of of honing in on the run, stopping Larry Roundtree, uh stopping Kelly Bryant on the design quarterback runs who we don't even know if he's completely healthy or not. I, I seriously doubt he's a hundred percent. And and I like Georgia big in this one. I think Georgia gets out to a fast start. I, I'm I'm gonna go even a little further than you guys are going. I'm gonna say Georgia 41, Missouri 10, because I just uh Again, I think this Georgia team's focused. I think all the goals being on the table, getting a big win, it's exactly what it needed. And I think Georgia comes a lot closer to putting together that complete game against Missouri this week and gets a big one going into Auburn, which is, I mean, that one is going to be massive, and it's going to be a slugfest, going to be one of the most physical games we've seen in college football this season uh, with both teams fighting for a lot, in that game any uh any final thoughts to add before we uh before we close this joker up and and move on i want
2: to say in the world we live in an ever evolving news that we talked about in the first of this podcast how tough it is to cover something like chase young well in this last hour he, the young man has come out with a statement and i want to make that clear so as these podcasts go you know when we were taping this there wasn't really a statement now there is he says that he had a loan from a family friend that he has known before he ever got to Ohio state. He repaid that loan fully last summer and he's working with the NCA and the university to get back on the field as soon as possible. So there's for the people that covering that, that is a breath of fresh air. You have something and you kind of know what's going on. So we we'll make it clear, you know, we, we, we didn't have an angle or anything like that. We're, we had information at the first and now we have this kind of news at the end. So, you know, hope the young man gets on the field quick. Um, you know, he was able to make a statement, and, and just want to make that clear to people that hear this podcast later on.
1: Yeah, I know the I know the folks covering Ohio State and our, and our guys over at, at BuckNuts.com are uh, feeling uh, pretty good about just having something uh, at this point, and and we'll see how it all plays out. I'm, uh, it's a big one, national implications, number one team in the country, but for, for the part of the playoff committee. So uh, that one's that one's huge. Probably the number one pick in the draft, or at least top three. Sure. So uh, that's that's a big one. All right, guys, we'll have this. We'll have the Georgia-Missouri game covered for you on Sunday. We'll start previewing Auburn. Uh, that one's going to be huge too. And and but this is the first clear. This is next man up. This is uh, this is the most important game because it's the next. And uh, we'll see how Georgia handles it but for this for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jake Grove, Dogs Twenty Four Seven. They're Rusty seller Kip Adams, the dogs twenty four seven, and we'll check out. We'll check with you guys later on.
0: Okay, picture this.